Keep your eyes on the screen, gentlemen. This is a marvelous action shot of that run for a touchdown. Here it comes. Turn on the light. Quickly, turn on the light. Stop the picture. It's the man in front of me. He's He's been stabbed. W.O.R. Mutual presents the distinguished American actor, Walter Hamden, in The Adventures of Leonidas Witherall. Leonidas Witherall's always getting mixed up in murder. Well, you wouldn't think so. He looks just like Shakespeare. It's his beard, and he's head of an important school for boys in New England. He also writes thriller stories on the side, the Lieutenant Hazeltine stories. And being headmaster of an important school for boys, Witherall is often called upon to preside at school functions, isn't he, Mr. Hamden? Yes. Uh, the class of 1925 has gathered for an alumni dinner on the Meredith campus. Although being the life of the party isn't exactly to Witherall's taste, inevitably he has been chosen as master of ceremonies, and inevitably, too, there's the horrible necessity of an after-dinner speech. Gentlemen! Gentlemen! Gentlemen, with us this evening are the members of that immortal backfield famous in Meredith's football history, the Four Killers. There's Dick Underwood, who's become a world-famous publisher. His magazines and newspapers are so numerous, I doubt if even he could name them all. I became a world-famous publisher with a role, yes. And how and why is a different story. The other three men here know that. I hope Witherall doesn't dwell on me too long. Brings too many memories. It's very dangerous. Dick uh, first got his start in the publishing world with Sam Graves, I believe. He and Sam were inseparable on the campus. Co-editors of the Meredith Bulletin. And Sam always ran interference for Dick on the football field. Inseparable on the campus. Best friends in the world. Witherall doesn't know about that afternoon in Dick's office. That rainy afternoon five years ago. Get out, Sam. Get out before I have you thrown out. You see me, Dick. You sit right there at that fancy desk of yours and keep your mouth shut while I tell you something. I know just what you want to say. You've had a dirty deal. But what of it? You want me to sing hearts and flowers? No, I just want to tell you that when you forced me out of this juicy business of yours, I knew exactly what you were doing. I knew what was going on, but I needed the money, so I had to sell my stock to you. Is that all that's on your mind? I built every magazine you own. I stayed up till two in the morning, every night, for months, editing, developing ideas, and making up dummies. Why, it was through me that you got control of every newspaper you have. Well, you've no kick coming. I paid you for the stock. Well, maybe I have no claim in court. What I have against you is just a matter of ordinary human decency. That's more important. Maybe it is, in your scheme of things. You're wasting my time, Sam. I came back to tell you, Dick, that someday I'll catch up with you. You can't take 20 years' work from a man and then brush him off with a little check for a couple of shares of stock. I knew we should have had some sad music. You'll get your sad music. I'll see to that. I suppose that's your supper way of saying you're going to get even. <laughs> you were always so obvious, Sam. Just as soon as I can arrange it, you're going to have that sad music. Funeral music. Yes, Dick and Sam have been an inspiring example of how strong and lasting a friendship can become, especially when founded in the formative days, uh, I'd almost said the halcyon days of school life. We've spoken of two members of the four killers, but we mustn't overlook the others. There's Harry Bellows. Oh, hi, hi, Harry. Harry's ambition was to be a lawyer, and what a prominent member of the bar he has become. 
Yes, the third member of our four killers has found his measure of glory. I'm a very successful lawyer with all, but a miserable failure otherwise because of my dear friend, Dick. Dick Underwood, the giant of the publishing field. He stole Jeanette from me. Coming back from Bermuda, I remember so well, on the cruise ship. I tell you, you can't do this to Jeanette, Dick. We went all through that before I married her, Harry. You were supposed to be a very close friend of mine. We trusted each other. At least I trusted now, you. Now, look, I'm married to Jeanette now, and what happens between us is none of your business. Harry, I thought you'd be in here. Please, I don't know what you said, but it's hopeless. Just leave us alone, won't you? Have you been out on deck blabbing to him again about how I treat you? She doesn't have to. Anybody can see that she's a nervous wreck. I wanted to kill you when you first stole her from there me. There isn't anything you can do, Harry. You're just infuriating yourself and me. That's right. Tell him that again. Of course, Jeanette, you could leave me. I'd keep Dick Jr. As a matter of fact, you two may have given me grounds for divorce. You see, Harry, you're only making trouble. Dick, I know what you're doing to Jeanette's mind, to her emotions. I thought you were a lawyer, not a psychologist. It was bad enough when you took her away from me. Now I have to stand by and watch you ruin her life. <laughs> Please go. I'd just love to beat some tension to you. Go on, try it. I'll split your head open. Stop it. Stop it. Oh, it's no use, Harry. Don't you understand that? You you can't change him. And I wouldn't leave my son. I'll give you just 60 seconds to get out of this cabin and then... Never mind. I'll go. But I'll provide the finish to this, Dick. A very bloody finish it'll be, too. Let me quote from my favorite poet, uh, those friends thou hast and their adoption tried, grapple them to thy soul with hoops of steel. Yes, gentlemen, Harry Bellows has become a brilliant lawyer, and I imagine he owes much of his success to the warmth and encouragement of Dick's friendship. And now, the fourth member of our incomparable football combination, he's here too, Jack Gregory. Jack's become a superb artist, and I think it was Dick Underwood who first inspired him to paint. Dick believed in Jack. Dick helped Dick was very helpful. Yes, he did everything he could for me. For instance, when I came to his apartment that night, it was three in the morning. Dick, I'm awfully sorry to bust in like this. I know it's terribly late, but this is so important. Oh, oh, oh. Uh, what's the matter? You in trouble? It's my brother. May I come in? Yes, yes, come in. You've met Tommy, haven't you? Yeah, I think so. About 17, isn't he? That's right. Our parents died when we were very young. I've had to work. I never had the chance to, well, sort of look after Tommy. You didn't come here at 3 o'clock in the morning to tell me your family history, did you? Give me a chance, won't you? Go on, go on. Well, uh, Tommy's kind of a wild kid now. Come on, come on. Last night, he and two other boys stole a bracelet from the jewelry store. Well, your brother sounds to me like a plain, ordinary crook. At home, he hasn't had the right friends. A kid his age gets involved so easily. The gang would probably call him yellow if he didn't go with them on a job like that. What of it? What'd you come here for? I... I need money. Oh. The jeweler said he wouldn't prosecute if we pay for the broken window or new lock and give him cash for his insurance. The rate will go up, you see. Well? Well... I'm not working now. I use my last cent to pay the rent. The whole thing comes to $100. Would you give it to me, Dick? I've got a swell possibility, a job that's coming up next month. Next month? You might not get a job for a year. We're in a depression, you know. $100 wouldn't mean a thing to you, Dick. 
but it'd keep my brother out of jail. Sorry, Jack, your credit isn't very good. I never thought you'd put it to me on a business basis. Well, you're asking for money, aren't you? That's business. You're not working, probably won't get a job for a long time. I'm trying every day. Looks like a bad investment. You mean a boy's life is either a good cash investment or it isn't? Is that what you want to say? Now, please, let's not go into abstractions. You're asking for a loan, and I'm turning you down. If my brother gets locked up, he's through. He's licked. That's his business. Haven't you asked your other friend? Somebody maybe who's a little more sentimental? Most of my friends are broke. The loan companies turn me down because I'm unemployed. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not going to risk good money just because your brother's a crazy kid without enough sense to keep out of trouble. The answer is no. All right. I won't beg. <laughs> oh, I'm going to bed. Dick. How about half of it? Would you give me a start? Give me a chance? Say $50? If I wanted to risk 50 I'd risk 100 Good night, Jack. You'll forget about this in a few minutes. But I won't. I'll remember it as long as I live. And if my brother goes to jail, Dick, and comes out the way I think he will, you'll pay for it, all right. The hard way. Yes, uh, Jack probably owes a lot to Dick Underwood. And Dick, in his turn, was inspired by Jack to dare and to do. I think the magnificent friendship between all the four killers is a symbol of the whole class of 25. Of course, while these four men were in the spotlight, we all know one other gentleman was in large part responsible for their brilliant record on the football field. Yes, in every game they played, they were supported by that sturdy tackle, Curly Foster. Curly Foster is the eminent Dr. Foster now. But I'll wager the good doctor hasn't forgotten the old days here at Meredith. The days of his comradeship with Dick Underwood. I haven't forgotten Meredith, no. Because it was here that Dick learned to despise me. Here that he planned his vengeance. A vengeance I didn't know about or expect until after I finished my internship. Then, that night in the executive office at the hospital... Dick. Uh, Dick, wait a minute. I want to talk to you. Oh, hello, Curly. What's on your mind? Sit down. I've been trying to reach you all week. Uh, look, uh, I have a dinner engagement. It'll keep. I... Uh, this won't take long. Well, what is it? Last Friday, I was dropped out of research. Oh, really? Well, what a shame. Well, you can always go into some other field. I was dropped out of research on account of you. Me? Oh, don't be silly. What did I have to do with it? You're a director of this hospital, and what you say goes. I found out that you killed my appointment to work under Dr. Manson. Well, I did nothing of the sort, old boy. I merely... You did it a cheap way, too. You didn't come out in the open and say you disapproved of me. No, you made remarks about me, about my personality, about my ability. You told a couple of rotten lies about me, too. And everyone believed them, because you're the great Magoo around here. Well, frankly, you do have kind of a jittery personality, Curly, and I didn't think that you were quite the man for the job. I became a doctor so I could do research. This is going to make it impossible for me to get into a research anywhere else. Oh, I'll never be able to live down being dropped here, and, and I can never in my life stop those stories. Do you know what that can do to someone trying to start out in medicine? Do you know I might as well take the ten years I put into this and toss them out the window? Telling me I can't do research is like cutting off my right hand. Oh, don't exaggerate, Curly. I'm not going to endanger the success of the department with an unpredictable man. I had the highest rating in my graduating class. 
Mansfield said he was looking forward to working with me. Well, we all have our little setbacks. I knew you were a four-flusher ever since you were 15. Why? I was the only kid in Meredith who had you down for what you were, and you loathed me for it. You'll never be much as a doctor, Curly. You're too excitable. Too many fantastic ideas. Get this, Dick. Last Friday, you blew my career up in smoke. You started something when you did that, and I'm going to have the last word. The very last word. Yes, Dick was a director of the hospital where Curly Foster served his internship, and I'm sure that there he was a source of hope and a real assistance as Dr. Foster began his life's work. Now, uh, before we go on speaking of other personalities for you, from Sam Graves. You want to show the picture now, Mr. Witherall? Uh, yes, Sam. Sam's not only been very active as a publisher, you know, but he's quite an amateur scientist and uh, a photography expert. He has the motion picture scenes of the campus back in the 20s. Highlights of the four killers in action. Oh, yes, I, I have the projection machine set up right back there. We can start at any time. Uh, have, you, have you got the Digby game, Sam? Oh, you will see shots of every game we've played, Harry. Well, I never knew that you took pictures, Sam. There are lots of things about me you didn't know, Dick. Uh, wait till I focus this thing. Can I help you, Sam? No, Jack, sit down. There's nothing to it. Lights out, please. Has to be pitch black in here. Go ahead. Stop the show. Right. Now, I'll explain the picture as we go along. If I have to stand in back of this machine. If my voice sounds muffled or funny, let me know, and I'll try to talk louder. We'll get some music later. I have a sound record dubbed with a film. Uh, wait till I get that turning. Yes, okay. There are the four killers. There you are, Dick. Well, look at me. Screwy uniforms we had, weren't they? There you are, Harry. Yeah, we're number 13. That's it, good old 13. And back, the smiling quarterback, remember? <laughs> I think I look like a toothpaste ad. Now, here's the Digby game. Watch closely. Dick pulls a spinner and goes about 20 yards. Gee, you see that? Boy, now, now the crowd stands up and cheers. Yes, He's going down the line. Down the... Wait, wait, stop everything. What? Turn on the lights. Quickly, turn on the lights. It's Dick. I saw a shadow standing over him with a knife. I'll switch the light on. There we are. Dick. He's been stabbed. Somebody stabbed him while you were showing the picture, Sam. I think... I think he's dead. Oh, no, that's incredible. He, uh... Hmm, I'm afraid you're right, Jack. He's dead. But I, but I, I can't believe it. Stabbed in the back. Uh, Dr. Foster, will you take a look at him? Maybe he's still alive. Now step aside, will you? Let's see him. Mm. Mm-hmm. Knife went through his back and penetrated his heart. Oh, that's well, gentlemen, gentlemen, uh, doctor, you telephone the police? I will, Mr. Witherall. I'll use the phone down the hall. I don't think you should have sent for the police, Mr. Witherall. Not yet, anyway. Well, why not, Sam? Well, Dick was a very prominent man. There'll be a terrible uproar if the newspapers find out that he's been murdered. It might be smarter to think first what we'll say, how much we'll tell them. Besides, we've... Well, we've all got reputations to worry about. I agree with Sam. I... I think we should lock the doors and try to work this out ourselves. If you make this public, everyone would be subjected to rumors, suspicions, accusations. We can't let that happen. I think you and Sam are covering up, Jack. You're a lawyer, Harry. I presume you've some basis for saying that. I don't see why we shouldn't turn it over to the police immediately, that's all. Uh, you've a reputation for being mixed up in murders, Mr. Witherall. Yes, uh, mixed up, uh, thoroughly mixed up. Uh. But you've solved some killing. Oh, I've merely helped the solution along. Uh, as the gentleman they say I resemble has written... Murder, though it has no tongue, will speak with most miraculous organs. Maybe you can help work this one out. Yes. Uh, 
Ordinarily, I'd prefer that the police handle it, but uh, since we're at Meredith and you're all alumni... You're liable to get that beard of yours into a lot of trouble. It's a very durable beard and has come safely through many perils. Well, uh, I'll do what I can till the police arrive. Uh, Will you please be quiet, gentlemen, and uh, remain seated? Now, let's see. Uh, Dick was sitting there in that chair. Hmm? Harry, you were... I was behind him. Oh, I see. Behind him. And Jack? I was to his left. To his left. I was working the projection machine back there. Oh. Well, that'd eliminate you, Sam. Looks as though either Jack or I were guilty then, doesn't it? No, there are a dozen other men in this room. In that pitch darkness, anyone could have walked up behind Dick and uh, plunged a knife into his back. Just the same, I think it was one of the four of us. The four killers. You mean one of the four killers has taken the title literally? I called the police. They're on the way over. Yes, oh, thank you, Doctor. Have you seen Dick lately, Curly? Yes, he was guest speaker at a medical dinner I attended a month ago. Maybe your theory about it being one of the four killers isn't right, Harry. You're not implying that I stabbed Dick, are you? Well... Oh, anyone in the room could have. Harry, uh, you seem rather convinced that Dick Underwood was murdered by one of the remaining members of the famous quartet. Now, look, Mr. Witherall, everything you said tonight, about all of us, I mean... Oh, Harry, now, don't start that. Go on. I don't think anything should be concealed now. All right, the four of us, Dick, Sam, and Jack, and myself, we weren't the happy little group you described. Not at all. We hated Dick. Mm, and I thought I'd made such a moving speech. However, let us see if murder will find its tongue and speak. I'm a lawyer, Mr. Witherall. I know just how much can be brought out by questioning. I don't see any point in everyone's being coy. I despised Dick because he took away the girl I loved and married her. And then made her miserable. Jeanette, that's Dick's wife. She's in the sanitarium now. Nervous breakdown, they call it. You seem to be working yourself up to a uh, breakdown. Well, wouldn't you be in my place? Now, besides Jeanette, there's the fact that you may accuse me of murder. Do you specialize in worrying about things before they happen? Why are the two of you so quiet? You hiding something? I have nothing to hide. I'll tell my story. Good. With all, if we go on, we reveal some mighty unpleasant things. Yes. Um, you were saying, Jack... Uh... Dick turned me down when I wanted money to keep my brother out of prison. He could have spared it easily. My brother died a year later in jail. I'm a productive remark. I swore I'd kill Dick for that. I'm glad he died. And I'm sorry I didn't have the honor of getting him out of the way. Mm, it seems that Dick was even more attractive than I pictured him. Both of you wanted to kill him, eh? Go on, Sam. Go on, you haven't spoken yet. I don't intend to. I'll talk when I'm questioned by the authorities. Listen, you. If you've got something to say, get it over with. We want to know who killed Dick and we want to know fast. Go on, Sam. Or shall I tell some of the story myself? About how you worked for 20 years for Dick. And then he chiseled you Ah, a third motive, huh? We're moving toward our objective uh, faster than the four of you on the gridiron. Too fast, perhaps. Uh, Sam, I was thinking uh, we should first show that film again. What is it? Oh, there's no sense to that. You want us to turn off the lights and give the killer another chance to murder somebody? Why, imagine the killer was after Dick. I don't think he's going to repeat the performance unless, of course, he was so dazzled by his first job that he feels obliged to provide an encore. Why do you insist on showing the film again? I'll only have to rewind it and go through a rigmarole. I want to see the film again because of uh, something curious. Uh, What's that? While you were talking, Sam, in the dark, explaining the pictures... I heard a ticking sound. Well, what of it? 
Well, when the lights went on, I noticed uh, there isn't any clock in this room. Oh, I don't want to run through that film again. It's a silly nuisance. Sam, run the film again. You don't think I had anything to do with the murder, do you? Why, I was standing in back of the projector. You heard me talking every second while that film was on. Run the film and stop stalling. Just because somebody heard ticking... I'm going to examine the film eventually. You might as well clear it up now. I'll put it on if he won't. All right, okay. I'll rewind it. Grease and dust all over my hands fooling with this gadget. You think that idea you have will lead us to the killer, Mr. Witherall? <laughs> you? I mean, when the lights go out and we see the film, since you seem to be on his trail, whoever killed Dix liable to have a go at you. A go at me? Well, I'll have to take that chance. Well, all right, the film's ready. I'm not going to run the whole business again, just the first part. Uh, Sam, I'd appreciate it if you would run the entire sequence just as it appeared when Dick Underwood was stabbed. Okay, okay. Lights out. Now, here goes. There are the four killers. There we are. There you are, Dick. Dick? There you are. You crazy, Dick. Sam? What'd you say that for? Dick's lying there, there dead. There you are, Dick. There you are, Dick. What's wrong with you, Sam? What are you talking that way for? The sound record is stuck, gentlemen, just as the film is. The sound record? Yes. uh, If you turn on the lights, I can explain. Rotten luck, eh, Sam? To have planned your murder so successfully, so carefully, only to have the sound record stick. Sam, kill Dick. I'll find the light switch. Wait. Here we are. Look at Sam. Look! Slumped over the machine. He's been stabbed. He's dead. Yes, the murderer did provide an encore. It's Dick. I saw a shadow standing. It's Dick. I saw a shadow standing. It's Dick. I saw a shadow standing. Sam's dead, but I still hear his voice. I saw a shadow standing. Stop the sound. I saw it. Doctor, same story? Same story. Stabbed in the back, knife penetrated the heart. Died in a split second. Seems to be the work of a pretty trained hand. Will you either accuse me directly or stop making remarks at my expense? How could Sam keep on talking after he died? Well, uh, he was a very clever amateur scientist, remember? It's obvious he recorded his description of the film on that soundtrack. He had a double track, you see. One that would seem innocent enough when played. And the other was a recording he made of his own voice. He thought that would give him a perfect excuse. He could say he was standing by the machine talking. While actually... He was creeping in the dark toward Dick to stab him. He had it all planned, you see. Even to the point of discovering the murder he'd just committed. I'll turn on the sound. Listen to the dead man speak. It's Dick. I saw a shadow standing over him with a knife. It's Dick. See? What was that ticking noise? Oh, it happens very often. He made his record in a room where there was a clock, but he didn't notice it. He even went to the trouble of apologizing for what might seem to be a strange voice quality. Uh, Do you remember that? All that work, and he never got to kill Dick anyway. Or did he? No, confounded, I was wrong. Sam's elaborate mechanism took me up a blind alley. I seemed to have been the true expert. I avoided the small errors as I swept on to the grand fallacy. Evidently, Sam started toward Dick, but reached him too late. The real murderer who killed both of these men got there first. And who is the real murderer? Well, when Sam was behind Dick, he bumped into the killer. Couldn't see him, of course, but he could touch him in the dark. Then the killer, knowing Sam had spotted him, took advantage of our second showing of the film to silence poor Sam. Hmm, gentlemen, uh, I have a rather strange request to make. 
What do you want? Uh, would you all uh, remove your coats and uh, pass them to me? Surely, we'll cooperate any way we uh, can. Here's mine. Uh, thank you, Doctor. Is this another tremendous idea like showing the film again? Another blind alley? I'd appreciate your coat, Harry. Well, all right. Here. Here. Here's mine. Jack? Now, that'll do nicely, gentlemen. What are you looking for? Yes, what's the idea? Well, if you look at the late Sam's hands, uh, they're grimy, as he said, uh, soiled, uh, covered with grease and dust from operating the projector. It occurred to me, if he did touch the murderer in the dark, groping toward Dick, there'd be a spot on the murderer's coat from Sam's hand. Did you find a spot on someone's coat? Yes, I did. Um... Someone. On who? On. Ah, the poster to that question. Okay. Who put in that call? I did. Those two bodies been moved, or were they just that way? Just that way, officer. Everybody in the room was around when they were stabbed? Yes. Okay. I got hold of Sergeant McCobble. He'll be here in a few minutes. Then we'll start the investigation. You don't have to. Mr. Witherall knows who committed the murder. Yes. Tell us, Mr. Witherall. On whose coat did you find the spot? Jack, uh, yours. On. On Jack's. Mm-hmm. Watch him, officer. Officer, you've two dead bodies and the murderer. A rather a well-tied package, eh? Stay where you are, you. I'm not going to try to escape or even alibi for what I did. I have only one thing to ask. When I go on trial, try me for Sam's murder, not Dick. Sam's death was inexcusable. It was out-and-out murder. But Dick's, that was justice. Killing Dick was the only thing to do. Perhaps, Jack, and perhaps not. For to quote the bearded poet I resemble, if to do were as easy as to know what were good to do, chapels had been churches, and poor men's cottages, princes' palaces. Ah, march into Venice. Act one, scene two. Correct, officer. Uh, what line? Line number 13. Here, officer, take my gavel. You're going to preside at the dinner. Where are you going? To walk your beat. <laughs> W.O.R. Mutual has presented the distinguished American actor, Walter Hamden, in The Adventures of Leonidas Witherall. The character of Leonidas Witherall is from the mystery novels by Alice Tilton. The radio script is by Howard Merrill, and the program is directed by Roger Bauer. In next week's story, Leonidas attends a state fair, doesn't he, Mr. Hamden? Yes, uh, Leonidas borrows a horse and buggy and goes to the state fair with his friend, Mrs. Mullet, who has entered a jar of preserves in the state fair contest. Of course, at the fair, Witherall can't resist the shooting gallery. Okay, step up, step up. Every man his own commando. Ten shots per quarter. Try your skill. All right, mister. Take your shot, your page a quarter. Go right ahead. Uh, what's the uh, most difficult thing to hit? You knock off that little clay pipe and you get a box of delicious homemade milk chocolate. Now, watch me. Trifle. Why, what's happening? Look, you see what's coming from behind that target? Dripping onto the floor? That's blood, mister. There's a body behind that target. But, uh, I, I didn't, uh, I didn't know anyone would... Was... You didn't, huh? We'll see about that. Mister, you just committed murder. Yes, at the state fair, Leonidas discovers the strangest, most unbelievable techniques for committing homicide. It's a very unusual story. And I hope you'll be listening next Sunday. And now, good night. 
you live in or near New York, or if you're planning to visit New York soon, you're invited to attend a broadcast of Leonidas Witherall. There's no charge for tickets. Just drop a postcard with your name and address to Bill Shakespeare. That's what Leonidas' friends call him, Bill Shakespeare, care of WOR New York 18. You'll be happy to send complimentary tickets. Remember, simply send a postcard to Bill Shakespeare, WOR New York 18. The adventures of Leonidas Witherall came to you from the stage of the WOR Mutual Playhouse in New York. This is Mutual.